So hey everybody, welcome to episode 246 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Harvey Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. How was your How was your big holiday weekend extravaganza that you guys had? It was good. I didn't do too much. Uh, no? I binge watched the latest episode of Stranger Things, but oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, but probably a lot of people haven't seen it yet, so I won't spoil anything. Yeah, I just watched the first episode myself. Yeah, um, it was good. Yeah. I was busy working on my talk last because my problem was is so we had the you know we had our holiday on Monday which is Canada Day and then Tuesday rolled around and and, uh, and Rob Rob Senior posted a new meetup for this week or, or yeah this 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 past week right and um, and I foolishly said oh hey I've got this talk I got to do in, in August why don't I do my my I'll do my rehearsal talk with you guys and he's like yeah yeah for sure mm. and then I realized oh wait I got to write the thing and then I had then I, then it dawned on me that I had lost an actual day you know because of the because I was actually responding on Tuesday when I thought it was Monday. So I think somehow I lost the day in, in last week. And then plus I had to do the podcast and produce this and all that stuff, right? And yeah, so it's kind of scrambled. So I looked at, at uh, Stranger Things and I thought, man, I mean, I'd like to watch that, but I don't have time. So and I, it kind of get, could, wasn't really ready for it when, when I started watching it yesterday. So I just watched a bit of it and then turned it off and finished it today. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe the first episode's kind of slow. I don't know. How about you, honey? What'd you do last week? Got away to a little resort not that far away from where I live. Maybe cool. hour and a half, maybe maybe two hours, I guess, and made a little road trip out of it. It was relaxing, uh, very yeah. quiet, so not a lot of fireworks, which is sort of the point. So we can get our yeah. little dog away from the, <laughs> oh, the war yeah. zone that is, is our neighborhood. And yeah. Um, yeah, we also ended up later in the evening watching like half of the episodes of the new season of Stranger Things. So right, right. Hmm? and I know you were watching the the women's soccer, right? As well, you better believe I watched Team USA <laughs> <laughs> dominate and have uh, a two. Nil, two nil victory. Yeah, it was, it was a really good game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I should watch most. Of it. I watched I watched the whole thing too because I saw some some of you guys tweeting and I thought, oh, well, I'll sit here and watch it while I work on my speech, right? So I mean, it's historic. They have they have won half of all the World Cups because there's been eight of them. They've yeah. won four. I'm yeah. still burned by the fact that they didn't defeat Japan in uh, like 2011. I want to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so they've been to five. So you're uh, you're gonna bet pretty good if you bet on Team USA for the the Women's World Cup. So what's the population? of Japan, I wonder. Like 120, 150 million, something like that. So they're like half the size of the United States, right? A third. Almost yeah. a third. A, a third? Okay, mm-hmm. so they have a third of the selection pool that you have for top soccer players, right? But who else would who else would compete with you guys in terms yeah, of but, population? But remember, this is the United States and most people don't care about soccer. That's true. No, that's true. The actual yeah, pool of people was, is a lot smaller here than it could be than it would be elsewhere. Well, I don't know. Yeah, see, that's, a, that's an interesting thing about that because here in Canada, because we have you know we're a, lot, we're a multicultural country really and especially in Toronto a lot of people care about soccer right you know we have a very good um, Canadian women's soccer team as well right with some notable people but I, I I do remember too there was you know many years the U.S. have, have won uh, won the whole enchilada as it were right mm-hmm. yeah it's probably a lot of people screaming at their phones right now about the fact that I said that nobody cares about soccer in the U.S. yeah yeah oh, well. well it's it's it's, it's, it's a little bit different for the women's team. side but I I like to point out people like oh you know because the, the men's team is not doing so good on the the world cup like people you're you're seeing our fourth or fifth best group of people possible right yeah the really good ones like the top athletes they're in the nfl and if they're not in the nfl they're in the nba (laughs) 
and then they're in MLB, and then maybe they're in NHL, but you, you kind of have a, a different group there. And then you yeah. squeak your way down to MLS at number five, hmm. right, in, in that level of soccer. Like, it's it's clearly not America's sort of a favorite pastime. No, it's true. Maybe, maybe but not. Yeah, you know, from a, a pure numbers, just because you'd asked a bunch of people, like, you know, I think with the, the right scouting setup, uh, countries like China and India should be, like, just fantastic. I mean, yeah, yeah. if you have, like, you know, one in a million people is great. It's like, well, they have a lot of millions, right? Yeah. Well, the World Cup of Cricket is going on right now as we speak, too, and uh, Indian, like, countries like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh are doing quite well. So it depends on your perspective what what, what makes it important to you. Speaking of which, I was talking to the guys and some of our our guys who were following the cricket thing today, and they said, too bad you didn't have that Blue Jays batter on your cricket field, right? (laughs) Did you watch the 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 home run 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 derby? derby? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, Vlad? No, not the guy who won. The guy who won, the guy who got the most runs, but he, didn't, he apparently didn't win because ah. he lost in a shootout, I guess, right? Mm. I didn't actually think. watch it this year. But I was going to point out too, Mark, that a third of our audience is, is uh, from Europe, so I'm sure they, they probably are nodding their heads up and down when you said that Americans don't care about soccer. So Yeah, well, <laughs> I stand by my statement. <laughs> right, right. All right, so let's start off. So we had some fact check from last week. We were talking about uh, Johnny Ive, of course, and we were talking about the introduction of different machines uh, it, and whether or not we were speculating whether or not Johnny Ive was involved. So around 23 minutes into the show there, we were talking about the Power Mac G4 Cube, which is its official name, and that was, in fact, designed by Sir Johnny Ive, as I have to call him because I'm a member of the Commonwealth. Um, that was released on July 19th, 2000. But he hadn't been knighted yet at that point, had he? No, but he's now knighted, so I now have to call him Sir Johnny Ive. It's sort of a rule. <laughs> I don't have to call him that, but, you know, I, out of respect. Um so, and, and you had mentioned, you said 20th century G4 cube or 25th century cube, but actually 20th anniversary Macintosh was, was introduced on April 1st, 1996, which was the tw- around the 20th anniversary of that. 77 was when Apple was, uh, was formed. Anyway, um, that was also, also one of the first products that was designed by Johnny Ive, interestingly enough, right? And just to point out that Johnny Ive joined Apple in 1992, that was five years before Steve Jobs returned to Apple. So he's one of the survivors, if you think about it, right? Because, you know, like a lot of, Jobs did a lot of house cleaning when he when he came back to Apple. Survivors from the I guess it wouldn't have, from the Gil Emilio era. I guess it would have been yeah Emilio and Spindler and uh, right and, uh, Scully was guy. first and Scully then, yeah and yeah, uh, Scully Spindler Emilio I think right yeah I think Emilio was there at the end before Jobs came back I think yeah yeah but we can fact check that for next week sure and then the fact check another fact check too was uh, the USB mouse which is we refer to affectionately as the hockey puck uh, came out in 1998 I think with the introduction of the original Bondi Blue Mac. That was and just, the original iMac, right? Yeah, yeah, the original blue, Bondi mm-hmm. blue Mac. And then uh, just to, to finish off the fact check, around 29.30, we were talking about Steve Jobs, and he actually died on October 5th, 2011, which is, I think you said 2011 anyway, right? So, yeah. I don't so remember. Yeah. yeah, well, it's a kind of a date that people remember. Mm-hmm. Another thing about the fact check, I was trying to remember what that display, I, I couldn't remember, my, get my head wrapped around the name of it, that was something we used for timing in early game development, and that was the CA display link. Mm-hmm. I've got a link here in the show to that so that was that's uh, i think that's a uh, i remember the documentation it said something about it's a timer basically that you could use and i some people used to use it and some people used to say it was a bad thing to use and so on and so forth but that was one of the ways we used to time um you know using the dif- display refresh to, to set timers yeah i always used to use it because it was more accurate than an ns timer right okay yeah yeah although True. these days i would always use a something like a dispatch after instead of either of those generally right mm-hmm. cool all right so we have some follow-up um 
Yeah, let's let's go, go. Let's throw to to Jaime with this first uh, follow up item there. Yeah, but there's a follow up because I think we knew that this was happening, but now it looks like it actually has happened, and that is uh, Apple opening its uh, design and development accelerator in Shanghai. And uh, as it claims here, this uh, accelerator provides Chinese developers an opportunity to work side by side with Apple experts to hone their app development skills. They'll learn yeah, how think- to use latest Apple technologies and how to distribute and market their apps to a global customer base. Yeah, I do remember that was a news item. For us about six months or so, because I remember thinking at the time, and I'm still thinking it, like, what about the rest of the world? But I guess they, they got to go where they where they have to drive sales and stuff, well, right? Yeah, we'll see if it actually works. Remember they did this, a very similar thing in India a couple of years ago, several years ago. They opened a big design center there, and, and, and it kind of never amounted to much in terms of, of sales in, in India. We, we assumed at the time, just like we're assuming now, that the idea is that they sort of, they still sort of uh, uh, build, um, or still stimulate, you know, usage in, in the country by getting people there developing on the platform and so people start using it more. But it didn't seem to happen in, in India. Yeah. Just as a bit of follow-up, too, I forgot to mention, um, I, I, I just reminded myself now when we're talking about the story, that I spoke to a couple of um, uh, women entrepreneurs at the Women in women at WWDC Breakfast, and uh, a couple of them were telling me that they were they participated in that, that program we talked about, where Apple had set up a sort of an entrepreneurial camp. Mm-hmm. Um, um, where they would, you know, work with with companies that were f- founded by at least two women. Um, yeah, and I, I spoke to them about it, and they were, you know, quite quite uh, satisfied with the program, and they were really pleased about it. But unfortunately, because of I guess because of uh, arrangements they have, they they weren't able to talk to me about it on 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 the microphones like I was I was in, interviewing people. Mm-hmm. So they told me about it, but they they wouldn't uh, step up to the mic as it were. But yeah, it was interesting to, to sort of follow up with them on that story about uh, about Apple's, Apple's you know attempts to uh, help out. Um, companies funded by women. All right. Yeah, I don't know how many you know uh, fans of this podcast we have in China or you know, Shanghai in particular. But if you're out there and you're listening, hit us up on on Twitter hashtag AskMTJC. And if that's an issue, I guess send a send an email to MarkArdsMapsOff.com. That's Smap <laughs> that's with a double P's. P. So whatever it takes to to get your your word out. Sure, for sure. Alrighty. Um, the next thing is uh, I put up here about uh, Apple uh, is planning. This is a story out of uh, I think out of China again that um, they're rumored to have coming out with a new scissors switch keyboard in 2019 MacBook Air and 2020. This is before the announcements from today. Um, so it's just a story, and I believe it was out of, yeah, Ming, Ming-Chi Kuo. Um, who was considered a very, very reliable source on the stuff. Now, the yeah. interesting thing, I read the article too. The interesting thing is the original, the original reason why they came out with the new butterfly style was because it cut out something like a millimeter of thickness from the, from the, uh, yeah, from the MacBook pro out of something like you know, 13 millimeters total uh, which is pretty significant so I wonder and this ar- the article didn't say whether this means that the thickness will have to go back up to accommodate that or have they come right. up with some kind of clever new way of getting the the thickness reduction even with the with the better designed keyboard That'll be interesting. it's interesting you know I was talking to somebody yesterday a family member about his keyboard um, he's got the old style keyboard with the, the sort of lozenge shaped um, keys like similar to our logo actually um, you know the ones that sort of sit up Proud of the proud of the, the material, like the aluminum keyboards or the older, you know, the the MacBook 2015 and earlier keyboard designs. Um, and he was saying the one comment he had was, but you know, you get oil on your fingers, they get on the keyboard. When you close the lid, you get the oil pattern on on the screen. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that that may have been another reason why I guess from a from an aesthetic point of view why they went with a sort of more low profile keyboard, right? Yeah, just a speculation, but yeah, yeah. So 
because I mean, people aren't necessarily, you know, they don't keep their computers as clean as, as maybe they should. You know? Yet another reason why I pretty much always use a Bluetooth keyboard with my laptop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just so you know, don't uh, mar your uh, screen. Well, there's lots of reasons, but that's, you know, that's, that's one. one of them. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Um, yeah. So this is a, the next article is a bit of a rant uh, from uh, a gentleman uh, about uh, his opinion on insider.com uh, from Antonio Villa Boa um, talking about how his sort of thoughts on the why Apple's computers or Apple's laptops are the worst ever, you know, and they're doomed and all that kind of stuff. But uh, his points are something we've talked about pretty much before, uh, quite repeatedly, the, the butterfly keyboard and its faulty keys. That's been a real sore spot for a lot of people. And, and even with the, the new designs, people are still speculating on whether or not that's, you know, really going to improve the situation or not. Um, the second point was about repair costs. Now that they've gone to like memory on the board, on motherboard and USB, well, we've always had USB ports, you know, built into the motherboard. And so ex- repair costs can get expensive for the sm- for the smallest little glitch, right? Um, so, I mean, it's a good thing if you have Apple Care because then you get to, you get to have this major part replaced in your computer. But, uh, you know, in the, in the older computers, they would have like a USB power circuit that was removable, like on a daughter board. Uh, so if there was problems with USB or sound sound boards or power boards, you could they could just replace those. But now they've got this all-in-one design. Again, to make a thin laptop, um, it kind of makes the a, a, a cost of repairs go up. Uh, there's one expensive repair we'll talk about a little bit later in, in the show, but where they have to replace the entire top case to solve one particular problem, um, which is kind of interesting and expensive for Apple because they're picking up the, the cost on that one. Uh, another knock against this uh, is the idea that you only have USB-C ports. We've talked about that before. I don't know. Um, I'm of a mixed opinion. I have a couple of USB device, USB dongles. I'm not sure if it's a dongle or the actual connection, but they become flaky over time, especially if you're unplugging and plugging every single day, which may or may, people may not do. But uh, uh, like in our case, we do because we, we don't have fixed desks. So uh, um, the USB-C can be a bit problematic. But then so so was the DisplayPort slash Thunderbolt 2, right? But I mean, it's, you know, I think I think the industry is moving towards USB-C, so I'm not sure whether I really buy into the whole I got to have. If you didn't need an HDMI port, you know, uh, but now you do, you can just run it, just run it by a dongle for it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really don't know about this one. I, I think if, if Apple hadn't put USB-C ports in, people would be complaining just as loudly that Apple's so behind the times and they never innovate because USB-C is industry standard and they're not right, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so th- yeah, this one I don't buy. The, the early ones, okay, I, I could get that, but not this one. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I really like having, I have a USB-C to lightning cable, which I used to charge my, my iOS devices and I find that really, really nice, right? So, um, and the last one is basically is the heat issues with, uh, with uh, you know, larger, faster processors, Core, uh, Core i9 and Core i7. They tend to get pretty hot. In fact, I was reading something, uh, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but somebody was had his iPhone sandwiched between an ice pack and two ice packs, basically saying he figured out how to get, you know, um, the software updates to, to go into his phone much better, faster and more reliably by just mm-hmm. freezing, you know, keeping the phone cool. Um, I don't know if that, that really makes a difference, but uh, yeah, heat heat's always been an issue on the laptops. I used to actually burn my lap back in, oh, I want to say 2010, 2011. I had a PowerBook, uh, Power, yeah, I guess it was a PowerBook G4 or something like that, and or the original Intel Macs, right? And they, they, they had they had huge heat problems, right? And uh, yeah, so I had to buy a tray to sit on my lap to keep myself from burning my leg, right? 
<laughs> so it's always been a problem. I mean, you're going to have faster processors. You're going to have heat issues, right? Mm-hmm. True. But I think this one's premise is that they made, they focused so much on the thinness of the laptop that they didn't have decent cooling where there were people who were, you know, putting their, their brand new MacBook Pros, whatever the top of the line model was at the time, in like ice chest and realizing that it performed way better, you right, know, noticeably right. better. I mean, that's just, that's just silly that, that that would even be required. Right. Well, I mean, they've been heating like cooling pads for, for Windows laptops and Mac laptops forever, like, you know, with big, big four inch blower fans on the bottom of them. It's been a problem throughout the, the life of laptops, pretty much, I think, right? You're going you're gonna to charge a battery, it's going to get hot. You're going to use a CPU, it's going to get hot, right? No. I think in and this case, won't... it was not that the CPU gets hot, but that it has to down throttle because oh. if it ran it at its full performance, it would, you know, catch melt fire, or catch yeah. on fire or, yeah, or do yeah. terrible things, right? Again, stay tuned for that subject matter. Um, all right. Yeah. So that's it for me. So, hi, made you at something that's next on our hit parade the big announcement today we managed to get something announced before we started recording today which is i think a first for <laughs> us in a long while yeah a whole a whole slew uh, a flurry a, a slurry which i hope is not like some sort of profanity i didn't actually look up the word before figured that out um a whole bunch of things related to laptops the first one is that the uh, 12 inch macbook is discontinued mm-hmm. presumably replaced you know roughly by the the new generation macbook air being not not the smallest but you know pretty reasonably close in size and then having a much better performance than the macbook which had not been updated for a while if, uh, two years this yeah says. yeah well, I think we talked, too, about the fact that the new MacBook Air, I have a MacBook Air 13, and the new MacBook Air 13 is the same size as the Mac, MacBook Pro 13, like like footprint-wise, and that and both of them are smaller than my MacBook Air 13, like in terms of like the, the total footprint, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, I mean, the, Mac, the the 12-inch MacBook was pretty cool. I mean, like, you ever see the picture of the, the logic board? You could probably put that inside of an iPhone. It was so small, right? No comments? No, I think it was a rather rather <laughs> good comment. I was I was stunned in silence. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I, that's pretty pretty interesting that they... Well, mind you, I guess, again, we also have that sort of, you know, um, you know, I know, Tammy's always talking about having family members call her from the Apple store because they're standing there looking at three computers like the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air, and the MacBook, and the MacBook itself, scratching their heads as to which one they should buy, right? So I think as an entry-level Mac, maybe the MacBook, MacBook 12-inch was, was a nice thing, and... And, and from size and portability, that kind of stuff, it was probably pretty cool. But you know, now that now they have iPads that are bigger than that, right? Maybe the new keyboard won't fit in twelve inch. <laughs> <laughs> they could figure out to make a twelve inch track bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we'll continue with your your slurry. Slurry, by the way, is I would think is like you know ice and snow, ice and water mixed together. I would hope so, but I, I didn't check like Urban Dictionary and other things to make sure it's not some. It's really also something in, in in pl- sculpture with clay. You mix clay with water. Water and you make like a paste, right? Slurry. It's isn't it's it's another kind of starting material for something too. Let me look it up. Yeah. Carry on, Jaime. Yeah, so carrying on with laptop updates. So the MacBook Air now gets the True Tone display. So it will give you that lovely color regardless of what is going on around you. And the entry-level MacBook Pro, which also had that um, sort of nickname as the MacBook Escape because yeah. it has you know physical escape key, that's getting a touch bar and touch ID. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not the Escape anymore. I don't see a photo showing me exactly what would happen there. So uh, there's that. And apparently they've also dropped the 
price by what? $100 on the MacBook Air, starting at uh, $1099 US or $999 for students. Yeah, and if your heart's still set on those on the MacBook, MacBook, no, nothing following, or or even a, an Escape Mac, I'm sure you can still find them on the refurbished store if you look. So hurry up and get them now before they disappear forever, like new Coke. Yeah. Carry on, I mean. In more, it was just a whole bunch of news here, but a whole bunch of news here, but laptops. So apparently, the prices of Mac SSD upgrades across the lineup have been cut. That's nice. So yeah. let's see, what was the so the four in the case of the 512 gig MacBook Pro, the four terabyte storage upgrade has been cut in half dollar wise from 2800 to 1400 there's similar right. similar upgrade changes so as some articles say here it's it's, uh, it's going from very expensive to just merely expensive well i mean that's also a reflection of time right because every every few like you know how we used to get the processor doubling rule or the, was it moore's law um, we've also had that with with memory and, and ram is that uh, over time things get cheaper and cheaper right mm-hmm. but just maybe a reflection of the market price of these things. Yeah, if you consider what a 10 megabyte megabyte disk drive used to cost 25 yeah. years ago, you'd be shocked. We used to have five, and one company I worked in, we had five megabyte hard drives that were the size of a dishwasher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carry on, Jaime. <laughs> that, that was it. I think that was the, maybe there was more than individual articles. The articles themselves, of course, would be linked in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Yeah, I'm currently looking at the, looking at the tech specs. I'm going to see what, what the configurations are like, because uh, um, a friend of mine called me from the app store today. He was, he was in the middle of buying a, a Mac to replace a stolen one that he, he'd lost, and uh, he was telling me about some of the prices, and it was a little, little incredible, so... Let's see what do we got here. Starting at the lowest, lowest price in Canadian dollars is sixteen ninety nine, all the way up to uh, twenty six forty nine for a MacBook thirteen, MacBook Pro thirteen. Um, let's look at let's let's grab one and see if we if we add upgrades to what it, what it ends up costing. So yeah, to go to an i from an i five to i seven is like three hundred sixty dollar difference. To go to sixteen gigabytes is two forty extra. Um, starting from two fifty six at five twelve will be will cost you two fifty. A one terabyte will cost you five hundred more. And a two terabyte will cost you a thousand more. That's this is the thirteen inch doesn't go to two. I think four terabytes is the top on the MacBook Pro. One thing, one thing I, I don't know if you guys have caught this or not, but there is no thirty two gigabyte configuration in any of these computers. Did you see that? I thought there was. I remember no. there was like a oh uh, they had made a new MacBook Pro with some version of Intel's architecture that didn't go up to thirty two gigs because that was a desktop class. Oh, you're right. No, there's a thirty two gig one that was going to suck down too much power and they were waiting for the next version of the intel stuff that had better power management for laptops well maybe this is it because the um have they did they did they up because the 15 inch the top of the line 15 inch macbook pro i'm looking at now you can get with 32 gigs of ram for 480 extra yeah so, I, so I think you know this is a while back we probably talked about it which is why i'm a little fuzzy on it and i i guess with, within the intervening time they they finally did the update and i yeah, want to so say that was the one that where people were putting into the ice chest to get better performance, yeah, but I could be wrong. So, so if you choose all the top end uh, things, so if you grab a 2.4 gigahertz ninth generation i9 with turbo boost to five gigahertz, 332 gigabytes of 2400 megahertz DDR4 memory, um, update the, the video card to radio, sorry, Radeon Pro Vega 20 with four gigs of memory, four terabyte storage, you end up with a Mac that will cost you six thousand three hundred nineteen dollars in Canadian dollars and in so, US dollars, real time follow up five. 
5149 mm-hmm. $5,149. $5,149. bucks just by coming to the U.S. Well, would you? No, I think. Oh, I know. <laughs> we have to get Peacock out. Wait, hey, let, me yeah. get, let me get Peacock out. Hang on one sec. Peacock. I could ask Sherry, too, couldn't I? Peacock. So how much was that in U.S. dollars? 5149 5149 To the conversion, that is 67 Oh, it's it's cheaper to buy it in Canada. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Because with the exchange rate, it's 6751 but I'm looking at the same configuration for 6319 So stay in Canada, folks. Buy American from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or buy Chinese-made, American-designed. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm still in the market for a MacBook Pro 13, so we'll, we'll have to start looking at the numbers and see what how they come out. Cool. Yeah, i got to get a new laptop one of these days. My 2013 MacBook Pro 15 inches, starting to get a, get along in the tooth. Yeah, but how much time do you spend on it compared to the one well, you use for work? It, that's actually a valid point. Not that much. Not that much, which is why I haven't done it yet. But I just I, I just feel like I need a new one. It's not that I necessarily need a new one. I just feel like I need. Yeah, yeah. I need a big. I need more more drive space in mine. And and my I've tried putting a bigger bigger SSD in my MacBook Air. But again, the heat issue. It get the they get too hot and it doesn't have enough cooling to to really work properly, right? And I even yeah. have it on a stand that sits up off the table. So, so maybe. when I got this one, it, I, I had them put uh, 750 gigs in my oh, wow. my SSD. Yeah, so that's lasted me pretty well. Mm, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, especially with Xcode. <laughs> yeah. Get all those simulators and they take a lot of space for well, some reason. Right. I still have to clear that out every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so you, you have a post here, Mark, about the Flint Center. Yeah, it's kind of a sad thing. Uh, the famous uh, auditorium on the campus of De Anza College, which is right down the street from Apple, uh, which, where they announced, uh, I believe, the original Macintosh and, and the Apple Watch and probably lots really of other well. stuff, uh, is going to be torn down. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's apparently kind of controversial. Uh, the students want to keep it, but the people who run the university is have, have made the decision that they're going to tear it down and build something new in the space. Wow. It's not clear uh, what they're going to build. Hopefully it will be something similar, you know, it, just a, a better version uh, and not just dorms or something like that. But it's yet right. seen kind of too bad. Yeah, that's is that, is, is that where they actually filmed part of the Steve Jobs film with um, Michael Fassbender playing Jobs? Uh, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah it'd, be, it'd be an interesting follow-up piece. I also saw Yes there once. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, all the more reason to keep it, right? Yeah. This was back right after the Union tour when it was back down to the original, not not quite the original, but the classic, well, almost classic five, except Alan White, not Bill Bruford. Right, yeah. So um, how old is it? Like, when would it would have been built? Oh, uh, you know, you I'm ask thinking, Mr. you know, I'm thinking 30 to 40 years old. Let's ask Mr. Google. So it's not like it's a heritage thing that they could protect? Or uh, I don't think it's that old. No? Uh, is a uh, not like a... An old, you know, it's not like Stanford. It's not an old university. It's just a, it's a it's a community college in town. So it's kind of only important to us Apple geeks in terms of history, right? Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah. So here, according to the Wikipedia page on De Anza College, mm-hmm. uh, 1968. So I was like, was oh, a little bit wrong. Okay, 50 almost, years. It dedicated in 1971, so it's almost 50 years old. Almost 50 years old. But I don't know if that counts as a, yeah. This is Steve Jobs introduced the original Mac, Apple Macintosh in 1984 press conference. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so 
which is recreating the movie uh, Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. He also introduced the iMac there, 1998. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's got a commentary that the board has voted to to tear it down. That's sad news. Yeah, yeah. Bad. Hmm. The think- last event was in 20, or just recently in June 22nd, 2019. If you remember a couple of years ago when they did the Apple Watch announcement, I went over there and I took some pictures of the yeah. building, the white cube building. Right, yes, yes. That was there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that was the place. Oh, yeah, because we were speculating what was that big white building for, right? Right, right. Oh, and it turned out it was the, the showroom for the watches. Yeah. No, it was only 20... So, so De Anza College was, was established in 1967. So, yeah, yeah, it's I mean, not that old. Yeah. And it's like 20, 21,000, 22,000 students, roughly. And it's mostly commuters, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a commuter well, Who can college. afford to live in Vertino, right? <laughs> well, true, true. Yeah. All right. Sad news. All right, I moving think on. it was also used for a scene in Halt and Catch Fire. Without mm-hmm. giving too oh, many really? spoilers, I, I, there is a... A scene that has a very similar looking auditorium. If it's if it's not the actual Flint Center, they definitely chose some place that was intended to really? evoke the Flint Center. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, let's go back and watch that now. Which, which scene was that? It was in like season four, I want to say. Oh, Maybe really? we do a, a, an after show spoilerific description of, of what that scene is about. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I could, I mean, to be honest with you, like they, they do film a lot of those things up here in, in Toronto and, and we have a lot of places that could fill, it, you know, fill in for that space. Um, all right. Um, so here under WFU, uh, we are talking about Zoom. We use Zoom US, Zoom.us uh, software to record our podcast. We're talking to each other on it now. Uh, we don't actually record the podcast. Well, we do record part of the podcast on this. And, and so, yeah, that was an interesting story. One of you guys want to take the lead on the story here and fill us in? Because I just caught up with it today. Go for it, huh? but- Okay. So it's been a really, really fast 24 hours on this. So a security researcher had discussed that there was a um, a local web server that the Zoom client would install on your Mac. Uh, and the reason for this web server is to make it easier, basically like no click or one click to get into a um, into a Zoom meeting. And even better, it could reinstall, helpfully reinstall the app, even if you had deleted the client and, and uninstalled it. Uh, there was some uh, vulnerabilities here and that web pages could find what that was. They could arbitrarily send you in into a Zoom meeting. And critically, since uh, video and uh, audio are on by default, unless you explicitly turn them off in your settings, people will just see your smiley face and hear what you're saying. And depending on how close attention you're paying, you may or may not have even noticed it for a while. So Mm -hmm. he had that disclosure to Zoom and waited the 90 days. I guess they only partially implemented some of what his recommendations were, um, but refused to remove, critically refused to remove the web server part of it that uh, he was really keen on, on removing because it, it's it stays around regardless of whether you've uninstalled zoom right um this ends up hitting the news people are freaking out on twitter people are providing you know little ways to you know, go kill the process delete the web server um run a touch command on a particular file so that that file like that little hidden file directly doesn't uh, have anything different change to it and a couple of the different steps uh, if you have an it department you may or may not have seen your it folks come out and say hey uh update to the latest client, uh, go in, change your settings so that your audio and video are off by default. Um, And then since then, uh, Zoom has come out with its own update 
to the uh, the Zoom client, which removes the web server. And in kind of a, a very rare move for Apple, Apple pushed a silent Mac update that removed the hidden Zoom web server. Mm. So that's apparently that you know they they gave a heads up to Zoom so that they weren't completely you know caught by surprise. But that's a, that's a pretty that's a pretty heady move for Apple to make. One I'm sure they didn't make in um, in haste and probably just decided it was the best thing since folks may not necessarily update their Macs, they may not necessarily update Zoom, and there was this vulnerability sitting out there. Yeah, I mean, like in the article that got posted here in the show notes, talks about the uh, the Apple update. Um, spokesperson from, from Zoom, uh, Priscilla McCarthy, said, uh, she told TechCrunch that uh, they're happy to be, be working with Apple on getting this update out and testing. So they're, I think they were aware of it and expected to be resolved today. You know, I, it's interesting. Like, I, I kind of wonder, like, because it's pretty pervasive. I mean, I found out about it, you know, through a colleague, actually. Um, so it kind of makes me wonder what's what, uh, how, how yeah, it's pretty pervasive. A lot of people use it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, so. it's really easy to use, right? So I wonder why it's really easy Definitely. to use. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's not just easy to use, but, uh, you know, there was a, there was a tweet by, by, by somebody that was, that the link of which was shared to us by a friend of, of Fruit um, that, uh, you know, it really, what, what was it the tweet said? Like, it, it says a lot about, you know, the sad state of video conferencing that when one of the major players has this like, hey, it can just arbitrarily turn on your audio at any time it wants. That's not enough of a red flag for you to like move off of that product to begin with. Right, right. Um, and, and Zoom is, is really top notch. I mean, it does a really good job of handling large groups of people with high quality video. And even if one participant has of a crappy connection, it still does really, really well. And having used uh, Skype and GoToMeeting and WebEx, and I'm sure I'm forgetting of another one, there are some that do kind of okay when it comes to like web only sort of clients, uh, like just in your browser. But I don't think I've seen any of those do as good of a job as Zoom. And, and from the desktop client side, it's certainly never seen anything do as good a thing as mm-hmm. Zoom. So it's uh, it's rather unfortunate that they had this, uh, you know, this black mark against them. Uh, definitely could have been handled better. Interesting to see Apple step in and, and sort of uh, lower the hammer, but they, they certainly didn't lower the heaviest hammer, right? The heaviest hammer is revoking that dev certificate and then just watching his gatekeeper refuses to run Zoom. Mm-hmm. I, that's kind of the nuclear option, I think, but um, doing the silent update was sort of the, the halfway in between. Well, it's it's really interesting to see that they did they, they did do that. And the fact that they can do that, that's I think that's amazing. Yeah, well, we, we all kind of knew that they could do it, but the fact that they did do it really does tell you how important they're taking because they, they really do like to keep a low profile on, on the fact that they can do that kind of stuff and generally don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, and the, so the fact that they did, and it's obviously pretty public that they did it, tells you something about how important they thought it was. Right, right. That's cool. Zoom stock is uh, is doing okay. It's actually up uh, $1.79 at $92.72. And I think it had only dropped like a dollar or something. Like it, it, it didn't go down very much um, yeah. over this. Well, I would argue that most people who use Zoom are probably millennials and they don't seem to care about privacy at all from what I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Not if the user experience yeah. is that good, right? right? It's like, it's a trade-off. I was like, right. How good yeah. can you make it? All right, it, fine. Occasionally it shows me poking my nose. All right, that's fine. That's, that's worth the trade-off. Well, millennials are yelling at the screen now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't be bothered. Mark um, R, it's Maps of Duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> send your letters. <laughs> yeah, send your folks cards. We'll send you some. Luckily, some they don't self- use email. <laughs> That's oh, true. There you go. So I'm okay. Yeah. We'll talk about what they're using later on. As long as we're as long as we're digging on millennials, they also don't you know do phone calls. So we probably could have like given out a Google Voice number or some yeah. other thing. Yeah. That control of. That's true. <laughs> and dare them, dare them to, to call. Well, we'll set up a Zoom meeting for them to contact us on. Right. Yeah. All right. If we set up so, a Slack channel, they'll be on that. True. Sure. <laughs> All right. So in our main main area of the conversation here, uh, this came out last week actually, and I forgot to mention it, but I, so I brought it here again. But uh, Apple has recalled the 2015 MacBook Pro battery, um, and uh, we got announced. We heard about this uh, last week, um, you know, and we started we started checking all of our serial numbers and that kind of stuff. And so I recommend that you do that too. Mm-hmm. There's a, a link here in the in the show notes where you can go and punch in your serial number and find out if your battery is one of the recallable batteries. Um, I had to take a couple from work into the Apple Store to talk to and talk to them about uh, the recall. Um, basically, at this point in time, it's an advisory. They're they're recommending that there's potential for problems. So what Apple is doing is they're replacing the entire battery. Uh, that said, you can plan on being without your Mac for anywhere from a um, few days, like four or five days, to uh, two weeks. And the reason why it's a big deal is because uh, it's is an inventory thing. Where they like how many? Think about how many 2015 Macs they would have to replace the batteries in. Pretty much all of them worldwide. So there's going to be a shortage of of uh, parts to be able made available to people. And the other thing too is that uh, yeah, they were in, to do this battery replacement. They're replacing the entire top case of the laptop. So you're getting a new keyboard, new trackpad, new battery, all built into one thing. So it's almost like getting a new Mac if you think about it. So yeah, I do encourage you uh, if you do have this particular problem, uh, take a look at um, take a look at the at the you know whether or not you should get your thing. And I I do recommend, of course, that you do get it because it's gonna it could potentially overheat as we were saying before. Um, interesting thing about this though, so there was an example. I don't know if this is in the article I've got linked here. Yes, there's some pictures here of a 2015 damaged 2015 inch 2015 laptop. I don't know if I said it was a the MacBook Pro 15 is a particular one. Um, and he's got pictures here of like you know his of like burning charring coming out of out of his trackpad and underneath the case some charring and a, and a hole actually burned into the bottom of his uh, aluminum case here. So yeah, that's in, pretty in, disturbing. Yeah, that's an extreme ex- extreme ex- uh, example. But yeah, definitely uh, check out the link. Uh, yeah, this, I think there's a link here. Yeah, Apple has a has a website outlining the recall program and where you can punch in your serial number and check it out. So yeah, and get it, get yourself uh, an appointment booked ASAP. All right. So there's a link in Apple News. I hope people can read that. I think you should be able to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, Jaime, you're next. Yeah, I didn't know where to put this one. I considered putting it in the WFU. Um, I put it into the main content here because I felt like it really needed to be sort of a, a light analysis of well, we security. had a similar story like this with the McDonald's app about six months ago, right? It, yeah, it could arguably be follow-up to that, especially in the spirit of eventually everything is follow-up. But there were just so many flaws in this that I just I couldn't let this one go. I, I just had to put it somewhere and account it. So what I'm talking about is that uh, 7-Eleven Japan had to shut down its mobile payment app because hackers had stolen $500,000 equivalent from users. Half and the how this works just takes, it just took like a village of people, it, it feels like, to, to cause this particular problem. So you can link a card or I guess several cards, like debit cards, credit cards sort of thing through this app. And you can just you know pay for stuff, 7-Eleven. And apparently hackers only really needed to know a user's 
date of birth, their email and phone number. And given those, they could have a password reset request sent to not the email address on file, any other email address. Any other one. Which blows my mind that you would let the person do that. And then to add further onto that. Snapsoft.com, they could have it sent to. That's true. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They could even further like flabbergasting the app defaulted people's birthdays to January 1st, 2019, if they didn't fill out the field. So that reduces the attack vector for somebody who didn't put their birthday. And it's pretty reasonable. I don't often put my birthday into this sort of app for various reasons. So all somebody would need to know is my phone number and my email address. They'd have to guess that I didn't put one in. So January 1st, 2019 is my fake birthday. And they could send it to any arbitrary email address. Like this is just mind blowingly Hmm. bad. Like you, you had to go out of your way to do this. You didn't, this isn't like the things we've talked about of like, oh, you know, somebody didn't know that it's it's way better to use this, you know, this other mechanism or whoops, you know, turns out with a, a government agency and, and unlimited funds, they were able to crack the code. Like, no, in this case, it was, you went out of your way to mess up. <laughs> you did completely unreasonable things that any sort of, uh, sort of reasonable person would say, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is a good requirement for this. Right. And I think it goes along that same sort of scheme we've talked about of, you know, use what the platform gives you. Google, Apple, Microsoft, they all spend tons of money making this sort of stuff, you know, as solid as possible. In particular, Apple, right? You know, don't don't roll your own crypto. Use what was given to you and has been updated as of iOS 13. Uh, use sign in with Apple, you know, don't roll your own sort of thing. Use all these sorts of things. It, it really just, I don't know, it gave me an opportunity here to feel, you know, aghast at what had happened here and, and a little moment to, to preach about, you know, proper security practices, particularly when it comes to payments. Mm. Yeah, the postscript here in the in the article it talks about the fact that uh, the Japanese authorities have already arrested two individuals attempting to use Chinese, a hacked account and they believe they might be connected to or have been hired by a Chinese Chinese crime ring known for using stolen identities online. Yeah, so like you said, it's 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 obviously. Uh, I mean, half a million bucks is or half a million or sorry, fifty five million yen or half a million U.S. dollars. That's a lot of money to to invest in something like this, right? Crazy, but yeah, like yeah, you're right. When there's so many different ways, like lo- don't try and reinvent security. That's I mean, that's the ultimate lesson, right? It's already been it's already been sorted out. You know, as they used to say in Hill Street Blues, let's be careful out there, folks. All right, you're next up here with uh, Catalina stories for us. Yeah, apparently, uh, according to the folks at 9to5Mac, uh, people who have the beta installed for iOS 13, iPad OS 13, and Mac OS Catalina can apparently sign into their iCloud.com accounts using Face ID and Touch ID in their devices. I have neither of those betas installed, so I can't verify this myself. Hmm. And apparently, if you visit uh, beta.icloud.com uh, on any of those devices, you're greeted with a pop-up asking if you'd like to use either of those mechanisms to log in uh, without requiring the two-factor authentication that you would normally have to do. Well, as, as a person, as you know who uses two Apple IDs on my phone, right? I have my my, my original .Mac account, and then I have my my own personal ID for Apple ID. Um, yeah, I might I might give this a spin. I'm not so sure about well, Face ID. Seems to be pretty solid, but um, I almost don't mind being challenged by iCloud because because it always gives me the two factor authentication pop up on my uh, on my um, uh, you know on my devices. Like I have one main device that that gets sent two factor authentication code and that kind of stuff that I have to verify. Uh, that I, in fact, want this to happen, right? And I think it happens, it lights up on all of our um, iCloud-connected devi- uh, devices, all of our Macs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, it's it's an interesting idea. I, I, I do sort of, I don't know, I'm a mixed opinion about whether I, I like being challenged 
purchased by Apple or not, you know? I mean, it, it, it notionally makes sense why you're, you're saying that, but like for me, the inconvenience is so high that I really dislike like, oh, did my Apple ID time out? Dang it. Yeah. Now yeah. I got to, I mean, thankfully one password makes it convenient to fill in, but now I was like, all right, now I got to type in this six digit code. That's true. To, yeah. Yeah. To enter in. Whereas if I just had a touch ID button on a MacBook, a MacBook Pro or, you know, use face ID on my iPhone 10, I'd be like, wow, that's yeah. You know, so do you think super that's what, easy, what would happen? You wouldn't get the two factor challenge if you, if you use this type of authentication, I guess it's biometric, right? So, I mean, that's my, my understanding that, um, I mean, it was, it's even kind of silly to me when I, I don't know, go in to change something with my developer account and it's like, Oh, we better give you this two factor code. I'm like, but it's giving it to me on the same device yeah. that I'm using yeah. to access. Yeah. Like, that's really silly. Like you should be able to tell that like, okay, maybe use one of the other devices that I have to prove that somebody didn't just type uh, in. I think my, maybe that's sort of a whole idea behind a man in the middle attack too, right? Like if somebody was getting in between you and, and Apple, potentially they could, they could be trying to log in as, you know, Jaime Lopez, you know, at yahoo.com or whatever you use, you know? So if um, they have a way of spoofing that they're actually using your development device when they're actually not, is what you're thinking? Yeah, because it's, it's going to come back to, they're going to send a message back to, I mean, I mean, how does Apple, because it's a push notification in some cases, right? That comes back to you. So Apple must know that, you know, what devices you're, right. you've authenticated so, or approved. So, yeah. So if there were no man in the middle type concerns, then Apple would just be able to tell that, oh, this request is coming from uh, Tim's phone. Uh, the same Tim's, the same yeah. phone that I'm about to send this two-factor authentication notification to. So since that person's got, they're on the right phone, so sending sending them to 2FA does nothing. So I won't even bother to send it. Right. Gotcha. But, yeah. but your point is, is good that if someone has a way through a man in the middle of spoofing that they're on your phone well enough that they can fool Apple. So, you know, Apple gets a message, hey, here I am, I'm on Tim's phone. Uh, and then through a different channel, they send the two, uh, the 2FA to confirm it. And then they, they actually do send it to your phone. Then you'll suddenly get this message on your phone when you didn't request to do this thing. And then in theory, you, you'll notice that you didn't try to do that and won't give them access. So it makes sense from that point of view. Right, right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Chinese, you know, hackers who are now don't have anything to do because they've been shut down by the Seven uh, Eleven app, right? So they they got some time right. on their hands to try and try and get into our Apple IDs and check out our, our yeah. pictures and yeah. read our mail and stuff and spend our iTunes money. Let's be honest, that's what we're really worried about, right? Mm-hmm. And sign us up for services that we don't want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, given this last article, is in a report that came out today also from Ming Chi Kuo, who tends to be pretty reliable about this stuff, saying that the rumor in the supply chain mill uh, rumor mill is that Apple is still developing that in-screen Touch ID. Remember, right? Yeah, we Face ID it, came yeah. out. We were talking about that a lot. Where you could have Touch ID without having the, the button, uh, right. and so you could still have the same full-screen experience like you have with Face ID, but with a Touch ID sensor, and you could pretty much touch anywhere on on the phone to do it. So the claim is that they're developing that and are planning to drop Face ID by 2021. Wow, which sounds pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I really like the convenience of Face ID, except for except for. Some, the fact that you have to stand, you have to be looking right at the phone, you have to hold it in portrait mode, you can't have it upside down or sideways. So you, you were going to say you don't like it? or No, I do like it. And, and I don't have those. I mean, I, I've never been bothered by those things that you just said about portrait mode and right side. I, like, I leave my phone sitting on the desk a lot, right? And mm-hmm. like, for instance, I'll tap on it now, I'll swipe up. Mm-hmm. And it tries to do the face ID thing. And because I'm not looking directly at it, or even if I hang my mm-hmm. face over the top of my phone, 
it still doesn't doesn't recognize me. So you know, I enter the passcode in all to- all the time, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's a bit annoying, right? Yeah. And sometimes if you're if you're holding your phone on an app that's that's in in landscape mode and it asks you for Face ID, you have to turn the phone to portrait for it to recognize you and then turn it back again. Mm. Mind you, I thought they had solved that with the uh, the latest uh, iPads because they can they can authenticate you in in landscape as well as portrait, right? Well, on those. Yeah, that may be the new pros, right? Yeah, that may be an iPad thing because they don't have the issues with the notch and the small camera. Oh, oh. right, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, they still have a notch, but it's in the right. It's not yeah busy area. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting that they would come up with something that's really actually kind of cool and then take it away a few years later, right? Yeah, that quickly. Yeah, but I think I was telling you that before that I was speaking to somebody at Apple and they they're sort of ditching even the terminology of Touch ID and Face ID and just calling it Secure ID hmm. for the biometric stuff that works with the the chips and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. So this next article here, uh, I'll be honest with you, I read about you know a quarter of the way through it and then my head got all fuzzy. But uh, it's interesting, uh, interesting terminology first of all to be able to learn to use. But uh, this is from Matt Triple T Thompson uh, about Swift property wrappers. A friend of mine had posted a, a, a like for this on uh, LinkedIn, so I decided to take a look at it. And if you have you guys had a look at this article at all? Yeah, yeah, took okay. a look at it. It's a good article. Yeah. Well, so well, we're you know we're now seeing we're now seeing a lot of new things, and you know, for some of us, a new you know the at state at binding at environmental object, which we've talked about with the combine. Um, and so he goes into quite a lot of different ways that that property wrappers are being used or will be used. I guess I'm not sure if these are all uh, real time stuff. But uh, so what did you think of it, Mark? Um, the, about the article or about the the article? The, the, yeah, the, yeah, the article's really good. Um, it's a it's a pretty detailed summary of how these things are used. To me, these these things. I think I mentioned this last time. They're looking a lot like Python decorators. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even with the at sign. Yeah, that's a, it's the same thing. And and the the bat, they're they're pretty powerful. But I agree with his kind of final conclusion and the and the tweet from he retweeted uh, someone named Natalia Patsovska. Uh, and well, I'll I'll read it. Uh, it doesn't do it justice. You you have to look at it. But the tweet is iOS API design short history bullet point objective C describe all semantics in the name the types don't mean much. Bullet point. Swift 1 to 5. Name focuses on clarity and basic structs, enums, classes, and protocols hold semantics. Bullet point. Swift 5.1 dash at wrapped dollar sign path at YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the point is that, you know, even though these these things, just like Python decorators, are super powerful, they make the code really hard to read and right, yeah. what's going on. So, I don't know. I'm, I have mixed feelings about them. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in between, right? So um, I agree that Swift is much more complicated now because of these additions. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree that it's more complicated than Objective-C because I, I remember beginning to learn Objective-C and it I think a lot of folks forgot what that was like. It has a lot of nonsense things um, that just other languages don't have. And granted, to be fair to it, it has removed some of those things as, as Apple has moved things along. Um, but you had to like take care of a lot of stuff you don't have to worry about. Just, you know, synthesized properties alone was a huge hang up from like, like why, why do I have to declare this property and then and then synthesize it? Like do one in the header, do one in the implementation. Like, but I didn't have to do that in Java or C Sharp. Like they, they just, you know, you declare a property, it's there. Of course it is. Like, why, why do I need 
you do all this extra work. Um, oh, uh, a favorite one is like, oh, you want to do a dictionary? Yep, that's with values and then keys. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. No, no human yeah. being would do it that way. Right. Oh, and by the way, uh, if you have nil anywhere, it means we just stop you know, progressing along. So I hope you didn't do it that way and instead did a, an immutable dictionary. Was it a feature, though? It, it's really counterintuitive. It, it, it just hurts you so much. There was all these little weird, like cases that you just sort of internalized well, and normalized. It, but, but Swift dependency injection with Swift optionals has the same problem as that. Right, which is why I'm saying, like, I, I, I think it's kind of in the middle that, like, Swift started out a lot simpler than Objective-C and has sort of uh, reached parity with, like, oh, you got to know a lot of bizarre stuff yeah. uh, in modern-day Objective-C and modern-day Swift. Yeah. Well, Objective-C did have the one thing that, that if you knew about it, it was super powerful. If you didn't know what it was, it would drive you crazy and and would would just make make you insane trying to figure out what's going on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Swizzling. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dark art. Swizzling. Yeah. You, look at, you look at swizzled code and it's an infinite loop every single time. The code is written as, as an infinite loop on purpose because you switch the names of the of the methods, right? So you, so if you have a method called uh my, there's, you know, there's some system method, right, let's say that exists and you have a you have a, a method called called my version of system method. Well, your your version of my and what you end up, what Swizzling does is you swap the implementations of the two methods. Right, yeah. So in your my version method, if you want it to call the system version when it's done, you have to have it call itself at the end, call its its semantic name at the end, because that name has been swapped with the other one, and it will end up calling the other one. It's, it's the most crazy thing you've ever seen. Mm, wow. Yeah. So, Mark, but earlier you broke up, were you saying that was a feature? We were... Oh, yeah. Stopping on nil? Yeah. Oh. Stopping. Yeah, right. But, but if, you, if you pass, if you pass you, using the correct Objective-C terminology, if you send a message to a nil object it, it won't crash it, it just does nothing right in other words you say um you know my object me- method method name you know in square brackets and if my object happens to be set to nil it, it doesn't it does nothing you know it's oh right i actually wasn't wasn't talking about that but that's, oh, that's oh, a good oh, oh. point of question. i meant with, okay. with dictionaries so let's say you sort of naively say like hey like i'm going to make a dictionary out of this json it's like yeah no you don't want to because um if any one of those elements was nil inside like you know halfway through the dictionary oh it just doesn't it just stops as oh i guess this dictionary is done because dictionaries are are like nil terminated for reasons that that that, you know confuse me in old objective c like old old objective c prior to the the literals well Um, well really what would happen what was really happening was uh a a nil in json uh is in in json d let's see ns json deserialization class uh a nil json JSON is mapped to an NS null object. So there is a thing in Objective-C called an NS null. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in foundation somewhere, core foundation somewhere. Uh, it, there's an NS null and it's a singleton that has one method that's the null method. So so you'll see this this thing, square bracket, NS null space null with lowercase close square bracket, returns you an instance of the, the NS null singleton. So that is what a, because dictionaries in Objective-C, uh, you can't 
can't pass in a nil value, right? Um, let's see. No, the keys can't. Uh, what was it? Yeah. You so if you, pass, if you ended up having a, a nil, nil you have key to pass somewhere. in an actual object into a dictionary. Right. You can't pass in a nil object because the, the dictionary will crash if you try to send it, give it a, a, a nil object. Uh, so so what JSON would do, the JSON deserializer would do, was anytime you had a nil, which are common in JSON, right, happens all the time, it would it would map it to this one of these NS null objects. So if you have something that's type sensitive, so you, you're expecting to get a string, let's say, or, or, an, or an integer in your JSON parser, and then this thing comes in as an NS, NS null object. Well, so if you if you try to cast it, uh, then you'll get a nil in return from that, and you won't get you won't basically won't get anything. Or your app will crash if you don't handle it right. That was the that was the, the fundamental problem with that. So hang on a second. How did you yeah. so so you used to if you had a, a group of objects in square brackets separated by commas and you ended with nil, that was pretty much an array, right? And dictionaries you had the value and the key, but how did you end? I forget how you used to end a dictionary. You just put nil at the end of the no no an NS dictionary. You could you would just um, well if you talk about are you talking about the, the literals or are you talking about oh no I'm talking about before literals. Like so before literals, saying. yeah, you'd have to have this uh, uh, value and then key so comma value key value key right yeah 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 and I think the last thing was just like comma nil from whatever call it. I have to go dig up some like older era. I probably have a book it, here somewhere. Yeah. Hang on. You'd end up with weird bugs and you'd end up getting really good of like, all right, if I want to, you know, manipulate some stuff in a dictionary, I better bust out an, an immutable dictionary and then check as I'm walking through things to say, all right, is this thing nil? Okay. Uh, or, you know, this thing that I'm dealing with that I'm trying to like map into a dictionary. If this other thing is nil, just skip to the next one. Because if you just try to say, oh, for each one of these things, shove this into the dictionary, you're going to be in a world of hurt if one of those things was nil. Cause then it say, oh, I guess this dictionary is, is stopping. That's here. what you're talking about. Okay, sorry. Yeah. We were all talking about different things here. Yeah. But they're all no, just, examples of objective C weirdness. Yeah, and I, I think this stuff is sort of inevitable and in some cases cyclical when it comes to programming languages. So let's let me take a little like you know trip into uh, the Go programming language land. So from a, a an observer's distance, I've seen that Go started out as like this like ridiculously uh, basic and straightforward uh, programming language where there's generally only one way to do mm-hmm. something. So it makes it really easy to learn. Uh, it didn't have generics. And so you'd end up with a lot of boilerplate and the community is sort of going through a lot of hemming and hawing about like, okay, how can we add generics without adding too much craziness to the language? And so they're, they're sort of struggling with the, the added complexity. And you don't want to end up Another. with something like modern C++, which now does have generics and optionals, but but in, a, in my humble opinion, a, an extremely ugly way, syntactically ugly way. Yeah. And, and another thing is the, the error handling tends to be a lot of, you know, do this thing, check that error is nil sort of sort of handling. So no no try catch for exceptions, uh, optional guarding and stuff isn't really like the sort of thing they do. It's kind of more like error code checking in, in C++, C. Um, and the thing that is like this past week or two that is tearing apart the community is the, the discussion around the ad- addition of the try keyword that does pretty much what try does in Swift. So mm-hmm. if you're used to and love try within Swift, mm-hmm. think about what it would be like if you were sort of at the, you know, our language is, might be horribly broken as a community if we add this thing. So this is sort of the, the meta point here is like, I, I think these things just get more complicated over time, right? And Swift started out super easy and then everybody started going crazy with protocols and generics. Now people are going crazy with, you know, at this dollar that stuff. 
and it's getting more more complicated. So I'd not be surprised if five to ten years from now somebody does, you know, some new language like this is truly the better way of doing things, and it's so simple, and look how easy it is, and then whoops, it just slowly accumulates cruft over time. Yeah. Well, Matt T's final comment is perhaps we'll only know looking back whether Swift five point one marked a tipping point or a turning point for our beloved language. Hmm. <laughs> I love that. that. That's a that's a great statement. Yeah. Yeah. Try so, it. Tries it in Swift, by the way, are, are kind of weird if you're used to say Python, where tries behave completely differently. So if you're used if you're used to the regular exception catching style, like like Python is a standard kind, then then you wouldn't like the Swift version, and and therefore you wouldn't like they put that into Go. I would expect. All right, Jaime, off you go with the uh, picks of the week. Picks of the week. First one is uh, given. It, it's almost follow up for within this very show. We were talking about Stranger Things, and uh, for like a week or so, Microsoft was doing all of these weird, mysterious, you know, Windows, Windows 1, 1.1 sort of um, uh, advertisements of like, look at these cool things you can do with Microsoft Word, you know, from the 80s edition, when Microsoft logo was radically different than it is now. People are like, what the heck is going on? What are, what are they counting down to? What's happening? And it turns out it's a cross-promotion of a new Windows 1.11 app that has uh, a tie into Stranger Things and has, you know, stuff you can do there. I, I'm being kind of hand-wavy because I don't have a Windows machine, so I can't actually try out this app so mm-hmm. if you're out there and you do have a windows machine try out this app hit us up on twitter hashtag ask tell us what you think and the, the things you can do it has easter eggs and promos and stuff related to the season three of netflix's stranger things oh so it's actually a windows windows app it's not a not video presentation or whatever right that's my understanding so i think you need windows 10 for this app um so it's kind of more of like a you know like that one video game we talked about where you you're simulating this user interface that this user is looking up all these records and it's okay. these police videos. Her, her uh, story. Thank you. Thank you. We, yeah. There's like her a murder story, mystery yeah. sort of yeah. thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, spoiler. Oh, spoilers for a <laughs> game that's several years old. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> Bleep that one out, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's funny. I I, I watched this video. I I don't think I, I never saw like Windows One. I think Windows Three was the first. Three was the first Windows I saw. How about you, Mark? Yeah, I think Three was the first one I saw. Yeah, it would have been like eighty nine, maybe ninety. Yeah, yeah. I was, I yeah, was doing uh, raw X Windows programming back then with, mm-hmm. with plain vanilla C back in the day. <laughs> in real time follow up. I was looking through some of my old textbooks here, and mm-hmm. uh, which are now in PDF format. Thank you very much for moving forward forward with things. But when you made a dictionary, yeah, it was, you would basically do in it with object and keys. You would do the the string and then the the object and then the key, comma, object, key, and then you would end with nil. And that's mm. how you let the dictionary know it was, it was over. Same, similar to how you would do an, if you declared an array. But it's funny because I, I looked through a couple of books while you guys were talking and one of them just kept saying, you know, add object with key, you know, like throughout. They never actually declared a, a, a dictionary all in, all in a row like this in it with keys. Oh, interesting. Or in it with objects and keys, right? But so. wasn't wasn't there an alternate syntax where you didn't have to use the nil sentinel? That was the difficult well. So word that's what it. I'm saying. Like the earlier the other examples I was looking at, they just they just did you know they did ns dictionary alloc and then in it and they you know square bracket and then the semicolon and then later on and like later on they would call that dictionary and they would add an, add an object yeah with the mutable, key mutable dictionary yeah yeah but so I, they just I kept, think if I'm if I'm not mistaken I think if you use if you use the one that's in it with objects and then uh, 
and then argument of objects and then mm-hmm. and keys and then argument of keys. You right. didn't need a nil sentinel. It's only if you use the objects and keys all in right. one oh, okay. where you need right. the, the nil sentinel, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's been mm-hmm. a while. It's been a long time because because once the uh, once the literals came out, I I never used those methods again. Really? Well, because I think with the with the, with the um, immutable dictionaries, you still had to use them. Remember for a while? Not like the yeah. Case, if, right? Well, if you want immutable dictionary, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But what you could uh, there was there were ways around it. You could you could do. Oh, I can make you it can, mutable. You could like, use a literal, uh, use a literal, and then call mutable copy on it. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I recall being taught that by my my Objective C sensei at the time. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's your next tip, pick, Jaime? This one I thought was is perfect for this panel because I, I think we all know know well, when yeah. to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away, when to run. I'm talking about Apple's Texas Hold'em game. Returning. Oh, I thought you were talking about Pokertini. Yeah, Pokertini. Yeah. Pokertini. I know. Video <laughs> poker with a twist. It's time for the time for the tenth anniversary Pokertini resurgence. Actually, what really needs a resurgence is my thirteen card Chinese poker app. Oh, that that one too. Yes, that's that one did much better than Pokertini, and it's actually been off the store for a while because I never never did a sixty four. Hmm. Maybe you should write it in the Swift UI. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. I mean, sorry, Jaime. We stole anyway. your stole your. your no, no. I, I, this is exactly. I knew this sort of thing would happen. This is why I brought this one to the panel here. That uh, for mysterious reasons to celebrate the 10 years of the app store, even though it's been 11 years ago that this was released, uh, the Texas Hold'em app or game from, from Apple has been re-released. It has uh, modernized visuals, new characters, updated, of course, for the 64-bit architecture and uh, support for larger screen sizes. So presumably it will work on things that are not the original iPhone uh, format. Have you tried it? I have not. It, it was supposed to be pretty, pretty hefty. Yeah, it's like 1.5 gigabytes or mega. It's, it's big. Yeah, and I never played the original. Is it? Is it because there's like you know video of these characters? Is that what it is? Yeah, there's a lot of speculation about it because I, I read some tweets about it about the size of it, and they were saying that uh, oh, they want 4.99 for this. Give me a break. Um, but the, race to the bottom, Tim. How many things could you buy for five dollars? Well, I, mean, I don't now. gamble, so I don't play, and I don't play poker. So I, what's the point of my spending five oh, bucks on this? Right? It looks like I already uh, own it, so I can download it. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. All right, but anyway, they were saying that, like, obviously, it was written before Apple had you know the on-demand resources and that kind of stuff because that would have lightened the the download as well, right? Yeah, um, but that, what, what were the resources? Like, I, I've never played the game. Remember, so like, I see pictures here, like the the kind of more realistic looking people did they did they move was it like a little video file of like look at me i'm, I'm moving my chips i think it was I as i recall but it, it's been a long time did they have towels mark no <laughs> he's glitching he's glitching i think he's bluffing yeah right yeah I won't tell <laughs> the you bluff algorithm is failing <laughs> oh i clicked on the link it said page not found i guess on the app store it, it is actually pretty funny that that given apple's stance on gambling and and being very family friendly that this was one of the first apps out of on the app store but was it from it wasn't from them right yeah it was from apple yeah that's what it claims here yeah oh apple texas Hold'em. wow apparently this came out on the ipod right Touch, yes right i think right. first yeah. yeah or click wheel ipod is what it says here i don't know this this, this is before my 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 era of uh, not not existing as a human being but my era of, of being in the apple ecosystem yeah because they had that little video screen on the ipod initially before just before the iphone came out they had the little like it was like a little two inch three inch screen and they they used it as a gaming platform Form, right. Interesting. Yeah. I'm a, so, so actually, Zynga poker as, poker, as I recall, was was bigger than this in terms of popularity back then. Bigger payload. Yeah. I think one point. Yeah. I think it is one point five gig. This size of this app. Right. Yeah. Well, not, not, would be, I'm not talking about the app size. 
size and no, in terms no, of no. Size, I'm just talking about oh in terms of popularity. popularity. Ah. Yeah. Because as I recall, the the Apple one was was just a single player game and, and the AI wasn't that good. So you could figure out how to beat it pretty fast, if I remember correctly. Whereas the Zynga one was the was networked, so you could actually play against other people. Remember Zynga? Zynga used to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I was gonna say yeah, absolutely did. Zynga must have had like light simulated cocaine in their their app, right? Yeah. It's free, I'm gonna download it. Race to the bottom, Jaime. I'm using Face ID to download it too, by the way, just for the record. Let's see how long it takes to download. Oh, so it is free. It's not four ninety nine for you then. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm not sure what I read because I did check oh. and see if it had in-app purchases. I was curious about like what 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 people were talking about on online um, about why it was you know so big and that kind of stuff. Anyway, so speaking of resources, I mean, what's your next pick? The next one is sfsymbols.com, and this is mm-hmm. a way to visually see and more importantly search for the SF symbols that came out with iOS thirteen. So yeah. this lists all the available icons and their names. So if you wanted to see what do they have for hearts, what do they have for Wi-Fi symbols? And so you can see the exact name, you know, end up using it in your code if you'd like, or probably more pragmatically, probably end up using that symbols editor that they gave you. So you're not going through, what is it, like 1,500 symbols or something? It's it's, it's a large number. And it's a similar site to Font Awesome. I don't know if you've, you've used Font Awesome in your web days, I may, but uh, Font Awesome came out with all these little icons of the same similar things that you could use in your, your web pages. Similar idea, right? Um, it's interesting to see the number of them are reserved in terms of like, you know, if it looks like the, the iBooks logo, it's reserved for iBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, the clouds are obviously reserved for clouds. Uh, videos for FaceTime, like the video looking camera kind of stuff, right? But yeah, it's and it's funny. That I, so you're not running iOS 13 of any flavor, Jaime? No, no, no. I'm, I don't have a backup device, which oh, is where okay. I would normally do this. Yeah. And I'm, I've never, I've never been uh, brave enough, courageous enough to run it on my primary yeah. phone. Foolish enough is the word I would use because I, I made the mistake of doing it myself. I um, mean, possibly, but like, you know, 12 was fine. You know, it was really solid. So it's not always the case, but for me, like I'm, if I was going to take the plunge, I would probably do it on my iPad. Um, that's you know, long time fans of the show have heard me say this year after year. When a new version of iOS comes out, I let all the people on mm-hmm. Ars Technica and The Verge, you know, and more than just code. be the guinea pigs yeah. for like yeah. 24 hours, see what happens, and then on my own testing, I sacrifice the iPad first because I can I can live without the iPad. But right. my phone gets hosed. I'm going to have a very very bad day. Right. So I've uploaded a picture to our slack here so this is the mail app um, of course i've got larger fonts on so everything looks pretty big right but uh the um you can see the sf uh um symbols uh, showing up here in the like the, sh- the inboxes and the letters and the flags and stuff like that mm. um, they, they look they, they they stand out pretty they're you know they're not quite what i would call fugly but they're pretty close to that you know um <laughs> well that's that's probably why johnny i've left you know because they yeah they pushed these out yeah. yeah he had uh had, couldn't couldn't live with that decision, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, it's a bit a bit similar to what uh, SwiftUI is kind of doing to to layout. I mean, we really have to work on layout now that we've all figured out uh, auto layout, right? So, an auto layout is you know now that we figured it out, it's maybe SwiftUI is supposed to make it easier or just take take the control away from us or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that. sure what the thinking is at Apple. Right. Uh, well, I, honestly, I'm, I, I I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, there there seems to be a lot of support for UI kit still going on right, and yeah. there's lots of people out there using Objective-C so they can't use SwiftUI. Right, so, right. So I don't, 
when I say when I say I don't know what they're thinking, I'm not saying it in with the negative connotations that that usually means. I, I honestly am saying I, I just have no idea what their plan is, what their long term. Right, you're honestly confused because yeah. there's like, hey, Swift UI is a new thing. Also, Catalyst exists. So, right, right. <laughs> should you use Catalyst or <laughs> or should you just rebuild in Swift UI, which runs on every device that they have? That's it's yeah. a really good question, and I think some of this ended up happening because you know these things take years to make. Some of them just sort of cropped up around this time. And I really do believe that the Catalyst stuff was probably delayed or maybe even Swift UI stuff. One of those two, possibly both, were delayed by a year when they sort of pulled the plug on what iOS 12 was supposed to be and turned it into a, you know, snow leopardization of iOS 11, right? Like, I, I think that's sort of why we end up with something that feels like extra weird. But it still felt weird anyways if we had, you know, Catalyst come out last year and then this year, by the way, that thing, forget about it. The new hotness is Swift UI. That's a little bit of an easier story than both of these things coming out simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the number of developers I've talked to in the last, you know, month or so since it's been announced. How many, you know, some people have jumped on it right away, you know, like for instance, I did, and I know a number, number of sort of teachers and instructor kind of people have too, right? But it's amazing how many seasoned developers are kind of going, well, let's wait until it's kind of matured a bit before we really yeah. jump in on it. And uh, that seems to be the, the general, similar to how, you know, well, I think you, I think you might have even said it last week, Mark, or the week before that, you know, when Swift first came out, it was kind of, it was nice and, and it had, you know, it had some limits and and it turned out to be super difficult to use if you when 2.0 or 1.5 came out and then 2 and yeah. there was a lot of transition that had to happen. And I remember I tried to write an app right when 2.0 came out and went insane because that's when they changed pretty much all the syntax, like all the <laughs> error handling and everything. So so any anything, you, any documentation you could find was not valid anymore. And even the, the Swift programming guide was not complete at the time. Uh, I remember when, it, especially uh, regarding the, the whole try-catch business, because uh, remember the first Swift 1 still had NS errors. It didn't have try-catch and throw and all that. You, um, it was it was really painful, really painful. So yeah, we're, having a conversation. we're having a conversation yesterday, I think, or maybe earlier today, and I can't remember what the context or even with you guys, but Apple just made a couple of changes to the standard, to, to Swift itself and, and without the approval of the Swiss, Swift Consortium, they just sort of came out with this thing and said, oh, here's this new thing and sorry, it's too late to change it. Mm. Um, I don't know if you heard anything like that recently. I don't know what the context was. Well, in that article that you posted about the app property wrappers, yeah, uh, it says that Apple just introduced these to the Swift oh, Consortium. Oh, yeah, this is it. Yeah. It was in something like March, late March. So right. clearly they had been working on Swift UI before late March <laughs> since they just announced it in, ju- in June. So they had been using it and implementing it without telling anyone for quite some time. Right, yeah. I think that may have been the context. Yeah. Yeah, I think the context of that discussion is what if the Swift evolution process declines these yeah, changes? Yeah, yeah. Right? Is it possible? Or it's like... Yeah, we all have votes, but we have super votes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. our votes count yeah. 10 times yours. Yeah. So if, if they ever tried that, that would be the end of Swift Evolution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apple would say, thanks, but we'll take over from here, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's our bat and it's our ball and we're going home. Yeah. 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 But, but you know, Mark, your, um, your experience with the, the wild, wild west of, of early Swift, mm. uh, that same stuff is happening with Swift UI. So I, yeah. uh, I've yeah. followed some folks on Twitter and they're like, oh, 
beta three straight up changed some of the syntax yeah. where yeah. I, I probably get this wrong because I haven't really gone through this, but let's pretend there's like uh, a nav button element. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's nav link and other things right. are kind of, you know, these, these changes, they're like code that you wrote literally last week will not compile this week. Yeah. So I bet you keep up. I've gone out on a limb here and making a prediction, but I bet you by the time it's officially done and released, there will be something like a view controller back. Hmm. I bet you. Well, there is that hosting view controller, right? Hosting controller. Right. To do, to do the interop with uh, UI kit. Yeah. Cause and, I was just, I was UI just uh, playing around yesterday and I talked about it in my talk that um, if you don't have Catalina installed, you can run Swift, you can add Swift UI in a Mojave playground and then you create the content view the same way you do in, in Swift UI and then you use the live view from the playground live view to render the the um, the content view but you you put it inside a UI hosting controller and you set the root view to your content view and then so you can actually get you know live updates if you will you have to tap on the run button to, to do the actual update but you can play around with uh, the UI Swift UI syntax and stuff like that and see what they things do um, in a playground oh oh you can do that right you can, I yeah, don't yeah. remember but I was talking about that back at WDC I was wondering about that right yeah 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 oh that's cool I didn't know Actually, that I they a, implemented that I have a screenshot in my yeah. in my, uh, my my slides I'll, I'll put it up over while we're talking here maybe in the after show um yeah, so it's a good thing to point out, Tim, though, that, that, that what you pointed out there. But I think what Mark was talking about was something slightly different in that right. you don't really have the equivalent of a view controller uh, within the Swift UI land itself. Mm-hmm. But I, I suspect he's right that there will be something with not the view controller name. I'm going to go on a limb and call it controller, for lack of a better word, that will exist out there for similar reasons as, as this thing evolves and as people start running into limitations with Swift UI. Yeah, it certainly won't call it a view controller because of the right i gotcha i gotcha yeah I think the other thing that you said, Mark, that like, you know, auto layout came out and is like refined, refined. Mm-hmm. The problem I've always had with auto layout, even as it's, mm-hmm. it's gotten better mm-hmm. with uh, anchors and um, stack views and stuff, it always felt like it needed a lot of handholding to do really basic things in that I always felt like I always disagreed with the defaults, that the defaults that you got out of the box didn't seem like reasonable defaults to me. Like you would have, uh, like web is probably the most perfect and one of like small number of lines of code, you get something that looks halfway decent without a lot of effort. Mm. Well, that's because it's meant to be used with a storyboard. In all honesty, auto layout with storyboards makes sense. Auto layout in code is just ugly boilerplate forever. Yeah. Even then, it still kind of feels like, you know, like command clicking or, you know, hitting the apply constraints and then going in and twiddling whatever, you know, it didn't quite do what you wanted. It just always felt like it had, like, why am I having to baby it so much? Obviously, a sensible default is to do this, you know, and, and pick whatever your favorite sensible default might be. But it always just felt like there were see, many of those of like, yeah. why is it doing this? Like, just, but obviously I want to have like the margins here. Obviously I want to have this, you know, centered. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It, it just always felt it, well, weird compared to other like declarative the things. Way, the way you phrased it, because you said, you said use the control, uh, control click or uh, what was the other one you said? Uh, There's the, the other little button that like, you know, oh, yeah, add constraints by default. And I, you can I go never in used and, either of those. I always use the TIE Fighter. <laughs> yeah. 
so, so you did go in and, and, and manually tweak off the TIE fighter? Well, yeah, I mean, you don't have to manually tweak. You just you just kind of select the thing you want. You place it in the canvas, select the thing you want, go into the TIE fighter, and just set things you want, and press add constraints, and boom, you're done. Right, yeah. All done. Easy. Yeah, and edit them later. I still think that storyboards and auto layout got a bad rap because um, a lot of people, either, either they got uh, burned in the early days or they just, you know, are of the opinion that, you know, you must do it in code uh, or whatever, for whatever reason, they, they kind of never gave it enough of a chance to really see the value in it, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. iOS 6 auto layout was pretty was rough. Pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> and, and like wildly incompatible with iOS 7 and beyond. Um, yep sort of uh, way of handling things. And so um, you're probably right. It, it You know, that first impressions gave people the, the taste they didn't like and they didn't come back when it actually got significantly better. Like I'm, I'm complaining about it here in terms of contrast to Swift UI, which seems to do like a lot of things like, oh yeah, that's a sensible default. I really like the way that just sort of does that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's not to say that modern auto layout is like a lot easier to grok and a lot easier to get right than it, it was early on. Yeah. yeah. Now, having said that, certain things like setting up ta- uh, table views are way easier in Swift UI. Seems, mm-hmm. seems to be. But I do suspect that if you want to do something, if you want to do some really, really custom layouts, uh, that auto layout would still be easier, I think. Uh, for, yeah, for example... I think what I've heard... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, what I was going to say is like what I've heard people say who are like maybe pragmatic about it is like, oh, Swift UI will get you through all the boring parts so you can spend time doing custom stuff for the, mm-hmm. the wild, out there, unique stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that that's a reason that makes sense. Yeah, I think the, the implication there being like whatever the limitations of Swift UI are, you, you use it for what it's good for, and then you fall back to UI kit and app kit and auto layout stuff for the things it's not good at. Mm, yeah. Makes me wonder, you know, just like we continue to live in a blended mm-hmm. world with Objective C and Swift. Uh, and there's a lot of legacy code out there. And at least 50% of existing projects. I, I don't know. I pulled a number of a hat. Uh, I don't know if things have tipped where it's majority Swift only yet. I, I kind of suspect not because it just hasn't been enough years. But I wonder if we'll have a similar thing where we'll have, you know, you go into some job, you know, three years from now, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our code base is like 50% Swift UI, 50% UI kit. So I, I think those skills will continue to be useful for some time to come in, in practical terms. Let's see. So, yeah. So my pick here this week is, uh, I don't know if you guys, have you guys heard of TikTok? Yes. So I was at a, a family dinner yesterday and the, and the kids were telling me about, the, all the kids are on this uh, TikTok thing now, similar to Vine. Um, oh, that one. Yeah, that one and so they they you know, I, I set up an account yesterday and started playing around with it and uh the one annoying thing about it is you can't use it in the office because even if you have your phone on silent it comes on full blast and mm. uh, there doesn't seem to be any way to control the audio on it. it's really badly designed from that point of view but yeah it's it's the next thing i guess in, in social networking and sharing and what have you right so yeah and, and tim you know the, the one thing that you really 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 need is more social no networking. yes it's true i need more social networking. <laughs> that's true that's true yep you know me too well mark yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to resurrect my Vine experience, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, just uh, put it out there. Yeah, you, you still have all your old Periscope videos somewhere? Uh, yeah, they're, actually, they're most of them online, right? So, I was using Periscope at the Stones concert too. So, mm. Yeah, if you followed me, you'd know. 
<laughs> anyway. Oh, wait. Periscope still exists? I thought they killed it. No, no. I thought it got incorporated, in, absorbed into um, Twitter. I thought this, well, it's owned by Twitter, but it has been owned by Twitter. But no, Periscope's still around. People still use it. I still get oh, annoying. Yeah, I know Vine is, is dead. Pop-ups. Who, who bought Vine? I can't remember what happened to Vine. Facebook? They, killed, they just killed it, I think. Okay, yeah. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on TikTok. It's sort of uh, the next thing that kids are playing around with. So Yeah, a friend of mine's kids were, he had twin, twin teenage boys at the time. They were teenagers at the time. They became uh, Vine celebrities, so much so that they were on a, a family trip in Europe somewhere, and the kids were recognized really? just on the street. Yeah, from their Vine videos. Wow. Pretty amazing. They're not the, the two brothers that did the thing in the Japanese forest and all that that we talked Did we talk about? No, that? not them. He's no. <laughs> related to Jake and Logan Paul. No, no, no not, not those yeah. guys. No, no. Oh, you never no. know. Gosh, I you never, never knew that, like, Mark's second cousin was Markiplier, you know? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a Hair. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. I think we mentioned that a few times today. Um, I just might have. Yeah. Let's see if it, we'll see if it works. Yeah. See and if I get email. My name, nobody sends email anymore, Mark. Come on, give your head. No, they don't. No. Which is why you give out your email address, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, my name is... Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me or on TikTok or, you know, used to be on Vine, but not anymore. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll see you next week. So we'll say bye. Bye. Okay, bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. go for and, and I tried downgrading to iOS 12 today like on another loaded up a test I had a I had loaded up a 13 on a on another device and read through you know the instructions on how to get rid of it you, you throw away the provisioning profile that lets you access the beta program um, and then you do a like a put your um your phone in DFU mode and then um, basically uh, you do a restore on it and it's supposed to install the latest shipping OS on it. Tried it a couple of times. It keeps putting 13 back on so there's no way to downgrade. Hmm. Yeah, so. Wait, really? I thought, I thought I'd seen people give tips for that. I, I don't know what they are off the top of my head but people's it's actually experiences much more, much are more buggy. varied. Huh? I know people are warning about uh, the beta nature of iCloud and people having issues with that. I haven't. Well, so here, here's the thing, though. Yeah. So there is a there is a a new iCloud setting that I got prompted about a few times, but but I would have to update all of my machines to to take advantage of it. So in other words, I would lose uh, iCloud access on my my Macs, which are still. Oh, sorry, I got one running Catalina, but the other ones are still running. Uh, one's running High Sierra and uh, Sierra High Sierra. Yeah, one's running High Sierra, and the other one's running Mojave. So that would be a world of hurt. Every time, every time they come up with a new OS, um, I seem to lose some services.
as because you know, I have a lot of older machines here too, right? Servers and stuff. Yeah, it's a pain in the buttocks. But I, it's funny. I took some pictures. I, I scratched out that uh, the the comment I had up in the in the um, in the fact check about the the FaceTime stuff, right? But so, but I did in fact get uh, service pack or uh, service pack. <laughs> I did get uh, beta three installed on my phone today, and it does it does correct my image in, in FaceTime. Like like the image I see if I'm if I like if I take a picture of myself and I'm looking at the notch, it looks like I'm looking at the person in the photograph, right? And if I look at the middle of the phone where I'm where I'm looking at my face, my eyes look like I'm looking down, right? But yeah. in the, when FaceTime's open, if I look at my face, it makes my eyes look like I'm looking at the notch. And then if I look at the notch, obviously, because so I took a, I took two FaceTime pictures with me looking at the notch and me looking at the middle of the phone, and they're they're almost identical. It's funny the the one where I'm looking at the the center of the screen is a little softer, like it's a little fuzzier. So I don't know if it's a resolution issue. Smooths out the wrinkles. Yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know if it has something to do with the camera or not, or or, or the fact that you know how I'm holding it or whatever. But or well, no, it's 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 actually probably doing some interpolations. Yeah. Whenever you do that, you lose a little bit of fidelity. Yeah. But this is, I mean, this makes complete sense. This is kind of kind of what we finalized on last time. Yeah. Right. We decided it had kind of had to be that way. It so. had to be on the sending yeah. side. Yeah. 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 Let me see if we can get a large enough picture. For, I don't know if you can you do two pictures side by side in the photo album photo app. That would be nice. Like a little tile layout. Yeah. Like can you? You can do it in email. Can you? Mm-hmm. Here, let me. Uh, I think this image. But nobody uses email. Anymore. 